Well, good morning, good morning. It is, uh, it's good to see all of you this morning. As, uh, as you've already been welcomed, I'll say it again if you're visiting with us. Welcome to the Burlington Church of Christ. It is, uh, it's great to be together, to, uh, to worship, to hear God's Word, to reflect on what we have in Christ. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can actually uh, flip over to 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to spend a fair amount of time today. All right, But um, we're going to continue our series. And so, if, uh, if you're here for the first time, we've, been, uh, we've had this series uh, based out of a book. And the book's title, it, it's very long, but it's, a, it's pretty funny. It says, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Right? And it's, it's, this, uh, it's going over the account of when Jesus walks out onto the water to His disciples. And, and they're in the middle of a storm in the boat. Uh, in the middle of um, the Sea of Galilee. And so if you, you envision it, it's you know similar distance, so to speak, to the other side of Lake Champlain. And they're about halfway or three quarters of the way, probably, to where they're going. And Jesus walks three and a half miles out on the water to where his disciples are. They freak out. They're, they're, having a, they, they're, they're losing their minds. They think Jesus is a ghost. And uh, ends up, Peter says, hey... Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus tells him to come, and, and he gets out of the boat and walks on water. And he gets to be a part of this incredible miracle. Now, we all look at how Peter sinks, and we think, oh, that was a bummer, Peter. But you know what? Other than Jesus, I don't know anybody else who's really walked on the water like that. Um, so, I, I look at these things, and we, the, the idea of this whole... A uh, series that we've been doing, it's talking through the idea of fear and faith. And fear being the place where we sit in, our, we sit in the boat too afraid to get out and be a part of miracles, right? And, and we've talked about how our boat is any number of things. It can, it can be a, a place of comfort. It can be a place of, of fear. It can be a place of convenience even that keeps you in that place so that you don't step out and live by faith. And, and by doing that, you, get, you actually miss out on the miracles of God and getting to do something amazing. And so today, continuing that series, um, we're, this is actually going to be a two-part lesson. Because as I was writing this lesson, I thought, this will take me over an hour to do this whole thing. So I'm not going to be able to do this. So the uh, title of this lesson is Hope Floats. Okay. Part one. All right. Now I'm not going to be doing a. Uh, I think it's a Julia Roberts hit off. If you've seen that movie, um, but it's a, it, a movie called Hope Flows. This idea is really going to be uh, what what gets you out of your boat, right? Um, and I really believe, in fact, that it's got to start in some part with hope. A hope to be a part of something great. Uh, a hope to see something. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Right? And I spent some time thinking about that. Because faith and hope are so intimately interlocked between each other. But I would say there is a, a very real aspect where 
Hope is where faith begins. Hope, what, what is hope? Hope is a desire to see something be true. And, and when you consider Hebrews 11 verse 3, it's essentially saying, you know, faith is being sure that what we desire to be will be. You desire it to be so when you hope. But faith says, what I desire is going to be true. Does that make sense? And so, that's what I'm saying. There's an element where faith, in fact, begins with hope. And Peter, I think when he had this desire, he had a hope to get out and walk on water with Jesus. To get out and, and to be a part of a miracle with Jesus. And so, you know, I, I ask the, this question first off is, do you have a hope and a desire to be a part of miracles? Right? Do you have a hope and a desire? I was encouraged as, uh, as Chris started his communion and was doing or his, uh, his welcome this morning because the, the scripture he's talking about, the underlying thing, if you wrote it down, it was uh, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians. Second Corinthians 4. Um, and the theme of that scripture, if you wrote it down, go look at it again. It's all about hope. It really is about hope. That's, that's a major underlying thing. He's talking about we, these jars, brittle jars of clay, we could be smashed, crushed, all of these things. He's like, he's like, hey, our hope is in Christ. That's our greatest treasure. It's it's amazing thing. Uh, I love when the Holy Spirit leads in, in that sort of a way. But what I want to look at today, for us to walk on water, I think it starts with hope. I want to look at someone else, not just Peter. Why don't we look at someone else today? Another man that we would say is a water walker. You know, some guy who gets out and, and walks by faith, steps out on the water, gets out of the boat, and, and lives in this way. If, you, uh, if you've already there, it's first, first Samuel 17. Come on, Mike. You know what? Before we start, let's pray. Amen. I've already started, but let's pray anyways. Father, I want to thank you so much for this time. I want to thank you for this church and just the way that you have led us, Father. I pray that we can be uh, inspired, called to your word, called to hope truly, Father, in, in you, to have faith in you, to be inspired and, and um, supported, driven uh, by you, God, our desire to be with you. Father, I pray that you use me uh, this morning. I pray that I can... Truly be an instrument of your will as always, God. I love you. I give thanks to you. I pray uh, that you answer these things and inspire me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Title of my point, uh, point one is hope in the Lord. If you're taking notes, point one is hope in the Lord. And so in 1 Samuel 17, we're going to start in verse 20. But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of, of, of the context of what's going on. So 1 Samuel 17 there's David, this, this uh, David who would eventually be the king of Israel. He is, uh, Saul is currently the king at this point. And so Saul was originally a guy appointed to be king by God. Uh, the prophet Samuel goes and anoints Saul. He, Saul doesn't really fulfill uh, God's word as he has called him to do. He won't obey God. It really becomes, uh, God is not the one he's really trying to please. And, and God tells Saul, he says, I'm going to remove you. Samuel goes and anoints David. And so David is now the anointed of God, the future king of Israel. Not there yet. But he's, 
So at this point, David's still, he's a shepherd boy. He's still taking care of, you know, daddy's flock at home. He's the youngest of all the brothers. You know, he, he didn't even, when Samuel came to the house, David's dad didn't even bother to bring David in from the field for Samuel to meet David. I mean, he's like low man on the totem pole. And so Samuel uh, anoints him. David is now uh, kind of in waiting, so to speak. But what's happening to the kingdom of Israel is the Philistines have risen up. Uh, they've, they've invaded uh, Israel's territory. They've come in. They've massed their army. And so what's happening is Israel's army has come out. The Philistines' army has come together. And for the last 40 days, they've been bringing out their battle lines, shouting their usual war calls and like, yeah, and doing nothing. Doing nothing besides yelling. But part of the reason they're doing nothing is because there's this man, if you want to call him a man, named Goliath, right? And he's a, a the Bible accounts him as being a nine foot tall man. Uh, I've done a, a, a lesson on this years, uh, over a year ago at this point. But the idea of a nine foot tall man is not impossible. If you feel like that's impossible, um, do some research. The tallest recorded man is like, Eight foot ten or something like that. I mean, we're, we're not far away from the tallest man in of this being Goliath being practical. And so he's this giant of a man, right? I mean, he's got this armor on. He's been trained. He's an experienced warrior. And so Goliath walks out into the front lines and says every day he he essentially curses Israel. He mocks them. And, and he tells them, come, come fight me. You send your best man to fight me. And if I beat him, we'll serve you. Or if I beat him, you serve us. If he beats me, we'll serve you. And, and no one moves. In fact, people run away from him. Uh, the, the armies of Israel are, are running from this guy. They're terrified. So there's 40 days. Can you imagine showing up for 40 days? And your king, who's supposed to be your leader, is kind of like, chilling in the back, not really doing anything, which is Saul. And they're hopeless. They have no hope. They're essentially there. I mean, they have a hope of a hope at this point. It's the only reason they're coming to the front of the battle line. They're waiting at this point for a savior to lead the charge, to bring them a victory. This is what they're waiting for, right? So hopefully you guys can see this image at least a little bit. Uh, And so here they are. And verse 20 is where we're picking up of 1 Samuel 17. So it says, Early in the morning, David left the, sh- uh, left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse, his father, had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. 
He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Let's go ahead and skip down. We're going to skip David's brother, just giving him some, throwing some shade his way. We're going to read in verse 31. I'll finish through verse... Yeah. They said they repeated to him what was going to be said and tells him what's going to happen. Going down to verse 31, he says, What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Doesn't sound immediately impressive. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. That, on the other hand, is pretty impressive. When it turned, when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because God Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Right? You know, what we have is, here, you have the Israelite army, hopeless to defeat Goliath. Hopeless. They're they're sitting there, Saul, what's interesting is Saul's actually trying to buoy them. He's trying to buoy them to provide them with some sort of faith or some sort of hope. But how is he doing it? He's actually trying... If you notice what the Israelites say, nobody mentions God. Saul doesn't mention God. But what Saul offers is he says, I'll give wealth. I'll give my daughter. uh, I'll give your family exemption from taxes. Right? I mean, that's pretty cool. But these material things weren't going to really give anybody real hope, right? These material things, these material enticements, no one's going to step out on those waters. No one's going to step out uh, of their place of of comfort because of those type of enticements. That wasn't giving or providing hope for them, right? Who's going to step out and take down this monster, with just those things, right? So no one dared to walk out on the water because no one believed that God would make that water solid or bring Goliath to his knees, right? Until David got there. But David, it wasn't just because David was really this amazing savior. David just knew where to put his hope, right? Because you think about what David did. 
David isn't concerned with the things that, that Saul's trying to offer. He's not concerned with the material aspect. What David's concerned about is God. And he goes, there, this man's defying the armies of the living God. He's defying God's power. And David believes that it's going to be God's power that's actually going to bring him down. That's what he says when he says, the Lord gave me the lion, he, he, he delivered me from the lion and the bear. Right? David had a desire to save that sheep and he goes after it. He fights it. But David knows he's going to hope, I'm assuming, right? That that God's going to help him out there. And he does. And then he does it again with, you know, a bear or whichever came second. He does it again. And then now he's going, no, I'm going to go fight this Philistine because I've got the hope and now I have the faith Because God has already shown me in different steps that, you know what, I'll show up for you when you step out for me. When you put your faith and your hope in me. And, And I think that this is something that all of us can can really take and consider. David here, he's he's full of hope, he's full of faith, you know, he's full of courage because of those things. Because he knew that God was going to be his victor. And God was going to be his savior. David wasn't looking for another person to do it. You know, I I ask these things and I look at this because David steps out on what we would say. He steps out on on the water, right? Mm -hmm. To go and fight this guy. And to have this hope of victory. Hope is a powerful thing. I have times where I feel like, oh, what's, uh, what's the deal? Like, people make a big deal out of hope. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot of movies. You hear, uh, if you read many books, uh, you know, all sorts of different books. The, the number one thing that your enemies don't want you to have is hope. Because if you have no hope, you're pretty much just going to roll over and, and give up. Right? You just roll over and give up. They don't want you to have hope. But... We're always being tried. There's so many things trying to inspire us with hope. You think about what people want. People want a leader to lead them. They want a leader who's going to inspire hope. Right? And that's why you have all of these... Uh, you, you get all of these incredible slogans and different things about leaders or different movements that go on. You know, uh, I think it was in the 1970s, Cesar Chavez had his... Si se puede! It is possible. You know, yes, it is possible. It can happen. You know, Obama has his, yes, we can. Right? Bring some change. Right? You have the, make America great again. The idea of, let's bring some hope. Um, I'm not making a political statement for any sad people. Just simply using that to illustrate a point. But the idea of they're trying to sell you on hope. That there's hope that things can, can improve, that things can change, that we can do it, right? Who want to sell you on hope? Hope is a powerful idea. I guess I would ask, I want to ask you something. Where is your hope these days? What hope do you have? And what do I mean by that? Maybe a better question is, is what are you hoping for? Because that will actually tell us a lot 
about ourselves. You know, David's hope was to glorify God and silence Goliath. His hope wasn't for money. It wasn't for a royal wife. It wasn't for worldly incentive. His hope was in glorifying God. And that brought him victory. Right? That's what brought him victory. I believe David had a lot of joy from these things. Right? You know, I would, I would ask this question of you. Is your primary hope in God and in the Lord, or is it in things of this world? See, because here's the, here's the thing. We look at, the Israelites were waiting for a Savior. The, the difference is, is, they're waiting for the Savior to, they had a hope of a hope of victory. They're hoping to win this. They don't know how. Waiting for a Savior to show up. Maybe they won or lost. Maybe there's so many different hopes that you could have in life. We don't know which are going to fail and which are going to succeed, right? Which will be victories. But if you hope in the Lord, in Christ, you already have victory. In Jesus, you already have victory. If A hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what Proverbs said. Anybody ever hoped for something and then it's not happened? You've been pretty discouraged by that? Feel pretty upset? Feel let down? Um, you really, you hope that uh, these things will happen and they don't happen. And then you let down. If your greatest hope is in the Lord, you will never be let down. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're following Christ, if you've been baptized, you, you have assurance of hope. You are guaranteed victory in your Savior, Christ. Now, that hope, maybe you already have victory. You get to reap the rewards on the back end, right? Uh, I was telling somebody yesterday, I was like, yeah, I wanted to either be a senator or I wanted to be a minister. Um, We were at some Halloween party yesterday and they're like, wow, those are two kind of different things. I was like, yeah, kind of. Uh, And I said, she goes, well... She was kind of saying, you know, well, I guess, yeah, you'd be a, certainly a lot of benefits to being a senator. I said, yeah, I'm kind of hoping on the back end for the minister end of it. Uh, I'm planning on the, the payout at the end. <clears throat> because uh, I, I figured that's going to pay out a lot better than anything I'm going to get in this life. My hope is in that, not in what I'm going to get here. Right? My hope is going to be in the Lord. Our hope should be in the Lord. It should be in victory in Christ at the end of time. That heaven of what we is what we get at the end, and that victory is assured in Jesus. But here's the thing: when I ask you, what do you hope for? What do you rejoice in? <clears throat> There's a lot of things. You've been let down because you didn't get the job you wanted, or you've been let down because you were hoping. Your spouse was going to do this thing and they didn't do that thing, right? You were hoping that you'd be able to afford a new car, hoping you were going to get this loan approved, hoping that your, your kids, you're hoping that your kids are going to become disciples, which are, those are great hopes. I want James to be a Christian one day. But if my identity and my greatest hope is wrapped up in that, then my life, I might as well get ready for some disappointment on some things at least. But I'm guaranteed victory in Christ. If that's where my primary hope is, 
my joy, my greatest joy can never be taken from me. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? In the times where we don't have to be so anxious about those things. Now, we should not be putting our hope, our greatest hopes, in the things of this world. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean don't hope. Hope for your spouse. Hope for a spouse if you want one. Right? (laughs) Hope for a new car. Hope for your kids. Hope for your family to become Christians. Hope for a new job. Hope. Ask. Pray. We have a really generous Father. Right? But if your greatest hope is in Christ, you're guaranteed those things. The other things aren't guaranteed. Don't let your, your joy be sapped from your soul when you have no hope. Right? It's, it's really letting ourselves love God. You know, I want to... He didn't, he didn't say much about this, but I actually really want to encourage Zach. He, he talked a little bit in his communion about this last year that he had. Um, and he talked about his medical stuff, and, and I asked him if I could share this, because he didn't. And he said, sure. So, but, you know, i got to lift up Zach. I love this guy. He's not a... You know, he's not going to come in, like, screaming with excitement about much, but he's... He's very solid. And, and I remember we're having times and asking him how he's feeling. He's working 60, 70 hour weeks at his job, hating his job, trying to focus on keeping God in the center and doing what he could. And it was hard. It was hard. But what we don't know, maybe some of us don't know, is Zach actually, he's got a brain tumor, right? He's got a, a small tumor. Uh, I believe it's on the pituitary gland, right? And this tumor is, it's causes some serious issues. And, um, you know, it causes a, a bit of a form of gigantism a little bit. And he's had two surgeries now. The first surgery, they weren't able to get it all. His, what they were hoping to achieve didn't change. Then they said, all right, we're gonna have to, you're going to have to get these shots. And you'll give yourself, you know, one a week or something like that. And they're like, no, we can't give you this one. We've got to give you this other medicine where you have to give yourself three shots a day, every day, potentially for the rest of your life. And... He takes them, and I don't really ever hear him complain about it. You know, then he goes and has another brain surgery, but we're praying for this guy because they know that it's so close to his carotid artery that if they nick it, he would die. And I didn't hear Zach complain about that either. I'm constantly asking. I was asking him, Are you, how you doing? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, really? I would be, really? And, but he's amazing. Right? And uh, I look at that because I really see Zach as a guy who puts his hope in God, not in the material things of this world in that way. Not even in in that health. And we think of what's it got to be like. How would you feel to know you've got a tumor in your brain? Right? He's, um, I mean, this brother's amazing. I love Zach. Because his hope, I really believe, is it's it's in heaven. It's in God. And... In all of this, I just say, don't let your hope be in the things of this world. Don't let your, your greatest hopes. You know what I'm saying? Don't let your greatest hopes be there. When we have this type of hope in God, we're very powerful. Because so much faith is going to come from that. So much faith. So many victories are going to come. But how do, we, how do we get more? How do we help ourselves have this hope? And that jumps into point two. It says, love inspires hope. Love inspires hope. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. 
You know, um, if you're taking notes, you want to write these scriptures down. It's uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, and Acts 13, 22. But those scriptures both talk about how David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who deeply loved God. And if you're wondering, if you doubt that, read some of the Psalms that he wrote. This was a guy who deeply, passionately loved God. His heart's desire was to be with God. What's your heart's desire? What's your hope? Right? But if you want more hope, and you think about these things, we've got to think about how do we get more. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, says, Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, love inspires hope. David was a man who loved God deeply. A man full of hope, even when it seemed at times where there was none, when he was down and sad. His hope was in God. And, and I wish I could read you so many of the Psalms that David writes at the hardest points of his life. Because he's, he recognizes things are hard, but he's going to trust in the Lord. The Lord is going to be his strength. You know, and so I, I, I look at this and I go, what do, how do we grow in hope? I'd say it's we grow in love. Love for God. If you want to hope in the Lord in a greater way, grow to love God more. You know, how do you grow to love God? Well, you've got to spend time with Him, right? Reading your Bible, getting time in prayer. You know, getting time with disciples is a great way to grow in love for each other and grow in love for the Lord, right? But when I think about how love grows, I can't help but think about my family, right? And the hopes I have for my family. The hopes I have for James, my son, and you know, the hopes I have for Kristen and I. The hopes I have for my family who aren't Christians, right? You know, my family, I, I hope that one day my family will become disciples. I, I hope for them. I pray for them. I fast for them. But you know what the reality is, is recently I've, I've, been, I've been praying and fasting for my family for about seven years, right? And in the first three years, I was really hardcore about my prayer and my fasting and all of these things. Then I, I, I laxed up a little bit. You know, my family started coming to church, started studying the Bible and, and I lightened up a little bit on my prayer and I took some things less seriously because I was like, okay, I'm, maybe this is it. You know, it's, it's getting to be there. And, um, and then they actually stopped coming. And that actually did more to stop me than anything else. Because what happened is, is I, had my, I had that hope and then I was hurt that it didn't happen. And I still pray for my family and I still fast for my family, but I don't, I don't pray like I should. My hope has waned. Uh, I need to renew my hope. And in part, I need to renew my love for my family. To be honest. Because that hurt me. Right? 
that I had something so special I wanted to share. I love God, and I wanted my family to love God, and they didn't love God, and I was hurt. Do you guys follow me with what I'm saying? And so, what I need to do, I still love God, but I need to love them again. And remind me to hope for them again. Hope in a greater way. I haven't lost hope, but it's waned. What's waned for you, the hopes that you've really wanted to see? What's waned for you? I want to encourage you to renew your hope. That, that one day, maybe your spouse will become a disciple. Right? Or your family. Friends. The people you've wanted to see. Your kids. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't let the, that be your primary hope, but don't lose hope. Right? But because I love God, you know, I think about other things I hope for. Because I love God, and because I love people, I want to see the church in Vermont grow. Do you want to see that? Or are you okay with where this is at? Do you love the lost and desire them to be saved? Do you have hope for them? Or have you lost that hope? And have you lost that love? Because we're called to love as God loves. God loves them. Do we love them? Do you, are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, here we're called to have that hope. I hope to see us have churches, family groups, you know, house churches all over Vermont. But how's that going to happen? For that ha- to happen, I have to hope, and that hope has to inspire me to act. Right? It should motivate me to act. And then, I have to get out and share my faith and evangelize. That's got to be a common practice in my life. And it's got to be a common practice for the church if we want to see the church grow. Do you hope to see the church grow? Right? Then it's something we have to do. But let it inspire you from a sense of hope, not a sense of obligation. You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's a distinction there. But if you're not doing it, you have to reflect that you're missing something. You know, other things I hope for. I hope to one day see us have a Hope Worldwide chapter. I think that hope will come soon. Maybe, but do you hope for that? Do you hope for hope? Uh, hope Worldwide is, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's, a, it's our uh, benevolent arm of our family of churches. And so we, it's where we do a lot of uh, works of service through uh, our Hope chapter. And we can still do service projects around the city without a Hope chapter. But do you want to see us do more of that? Do you hope to see that? If you do, that desire, that hope, should motivate you to act. Also, you could talk to Giovanni, because he's really trying hard to work on that, uh, if you have a desire for that. He's got a hope to see it happen. He's working really hard, and I'm really proud of him for how he's going after it. But what are you hoping for? What do you hope to see? Because it's that hope that's going to motivate you to act, And God fulfilling those hopes is going to build your faith. And that faith is going to let you be a part of miracles. But if you lack hope, how will you ever get to see them? You guys get what I'm saying? And so, here's what we look at. And and remembering these things, that it starts with hope. And as I said, if this doesn't feel like it's a solid resolution or really encouraging... This is just part one of part two, or, you know, of two parts. But I look at this, and I just encourage us in this aspect. Love. Love God. 
love people, love your families, like those things. Let love inspire you to hope. But love God most of all. Don't put your hope in the things of this world in such a way that if you lose them, you're crushed. Right? We're not crushed. We're not overwhelmed. We're not powerless because our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in God and our hope is in heaven. That's what Chris was actually... That's what a lot of that scripture is about that Chris was sharing this morning. And I feel like we need to remember Love inspires hope. Hope in God grows in faith. And in those who act on faith, that gets to be a part of, those people get to be part of God's miracles. If you want to walk on water and be a part of miracles, you've got to get out of the boat. And that's going to start with hope. So let's remember that hope in the Lord first and foremost, because the victory we have in Him is already guaranteed. Amen? Amen. Amen.